Hey, group, this is the Son of Gold, and you're listening to the Secret Lair Drive-In. <laughs> Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. Roper, Williams, and Lee, the Deadly Three, penetrate the secret chambers of an evil island empire. What do you know about Han? He lives like a king on that island, totally self-sufficient. A fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon is Roper. He was in it for the money. U.S. karate champion Jim Kelly as Williams. He was there because he had no choice. Black Belt Hall of Fame undisputed martial arts champion and international film star Bruce Lee. His job was to get them out alive. I'm hoping you'll join us, represent us in the United States. You want me to join this? Roper, Williams, and Lee. Just when they think they've broken the secret of the island, they find there is no escape from the inscrutable Han. Warner Brothers presents Enter the Dragon, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. Enter the Dragon from Warner Brothers. Right out. And now the movies, folks. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In. I'm your host, your fearless leader, D-Dub. And across the Wayback Machine, or maybe I should say across the aisle. No, they don't have aisles in uh, drive-ins, do they? I'm on the other side of the snack bar. There you go. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's my co-host and faithful acolyte, Stratosphere. Hi, kids. Caught me in mid-sip there. So, anyway... See, you never admit to coffee at a drive-in. You were you were drinking like a big gulp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if I was drinking or, a big gulp, then or a tasty be... freeze or something, you know, <laughs> then I have to go to the restroom. Oh well, that is true. That's the advantage of the drive-in. You can still see the thing almost all the way in there. And well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, we're going to toss out our contact information real quick. If they want to email us, how do they do that? 
Uh, we can be reached at secretlayerpodcast at gmail.com. He did it for the, on the first try, folks. Because I wasn't thinking about it. <laughs> when I try oh. to think about it, it's like, what is this Internet thing you speak of? Okay, well, uh, go ahead. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Beyond Pod, for your Android device. And if you have a Windows phone, or heck, from what I understand, even an Xbox, you can give us a listen there, too. We're on Xbox now. Well, it's, it's all part of the Windows marketplace, from my understanding. Which is a pretty big market. Yeah. It's much better than when it was Zune. We agreed never to speak of Zune. <laughs> but anyway, before we get started on this week's cinematic masterpiece, we have... Feedback, and for that feedback, we have to go to Joe's Corner. We're going to have to come up with a better name. Or or at least get him some theme music. Joe, if you have any idea what we should call your segment, by all means. (laughs) I haven't had enough coffee to be terribly creative. Oh, okay. That's okay. We're we're professionals. We'll we'll model free. Oh, okay. So anyway, I think you have that one. Yes, I have. Okay. Okay. From Joe, need a theme song, Aiden. That's his new nickname. Gentlemen, sorry it took me so long, but I just realized I haven't commented on your Westworld show. As always, excellent job. You flatter us. In fact, I think I like your podcast better than watching the film. I gotta tell you, I never really liked this. Go imagine that. Uh, God, that makes up about at least 50% of our reviews. Um, all the elements of the sort genre I film I would go for are here. The concept of the storyline is very good also. Plus, I always like Yul Brenner. You pretty much gotta like Yul Brenner. Oh, absolutely. He's one of the elements that make The Magnificent Seven so good. Well, him and the score of the film. Maybe it's Richard Benjamin as the hero. Parentheses question mark. I think you... Uh, touched on that yeah yeah that's that's kind of a sore spot i guess you thought how could you kill off the james brolin character and keep richard benjamin as your hero well that's actually a very good point (laughs) i don't get it i always thought stepford wives did the whole robots as humans story a little better well thanks for the spoilers joe (laughs) well it's not a it's not a hang on That film always had a bit of a horror element to it. Horror element. Boy, there's a tongue twister to it that I always thought helped. That last scene with Catherine Ross and the black empty eyes creeped me out as a kid. I just never got that feeling with Westworld. I will give this film another look as it's been a long time since I've seen it. I do remember liking the sequel, Future World, a little better, but again, been a long time since I've seen that one as well. Did you know that there was a third version of the film? Sort of. Yes, we did. I... Did we touch on that? I believe we did, Okay, yes. apparently in 1980, a TV series called Beyond Westworld aired on CBS. Five episodes were filmed, but was canceled after only three had aired. And it sounds, hey, it made it, pe- it made it longer than the Playboy Club did. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like what Fox and NBC do nowadays. Now CBS... <coughs> now, Firefly. <coughs> oh, I, we, we could do a whole show. <laughs> not, not even... Bro- I, think, I think we might have. Yeah, well... I, we, we could do a sequel to that show. I've, there are just so many that, but it would it would basically turn into an hour long rant against uh, the networks. Uh, okay, as far as recasting, I got to go with Clint Eastwood as the gunslinger. Eh, a little mm. too old, I think maybe. 
Uh, I know he's not as young as he used to be, good point, but I think he could pull off the role since he still has the steely blue-eyed stare. I just thought of this. Wait for it. Danny Trejo as the gunslinger. I could see that. Problem is, Danny Trejo's getting a little bit typecast as that type of a thing. So it would be well, a, I, it would be a little odd. See, you'll, yeah, but Yul Brynner was a little bit brilliant because it was such a different role from any you know he he played. Well, I guess he wasn't in the in the Magnificent Seven. Right. But. Now the thing with Danny Trejo, though, if I'm if I remember reading right, and that's the guy who played Machete and all that, right? Yeah, and he was I, in I, several. He's been in several other things. Yeah, but, but any time he plays an evil character, he basically has he says if it's an evil character, it has to die during the movie. Oh, okay. Well, he's he's got that. You sort know, of res- he, respect for the genre, I guess. Well, not only the respect for the genre, but, you know, kind of for the audience, too. He doesn't want the kids to think that... I mean, he's... Believe it or not, he's very much about kids. Well, as, as scary-looking as Danny Trejo is, I mean, come on. he's He's got to either be a villain or be a good guy, a really, really good guy to make up for it, because that, that man is intimidating. Looking. Yeah, but he, but he does want... I mean, he, he, I think it's actually in his contract or something that oh, okay. if he plays an evil character... Because he has no... Like, uh, if you've ever, speen, have you ever seen any of the um, Spy Kids series... Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't he play like the grandfather or something like that? Or the, no, the Ricardo Montalban played the grandfather. He's like the uncle or something. Yeah, the uncle. Okay, but he's a good guy in that, and it it almost seems like him playing against type because he still looks scary as hell, but he's actually big old teddy bear in that. Well, from it's my understanding, he's actually a pretty nice guy. Uh, I would think he would be, but j- just the fact that you're telling me that he kind of has that sense of uh, morality and not just. Okay, well, just cash a paycheck and you know go go on Facebook and troll for uh, you know causes. Well, there you go. Anyway, anywho, that'll be another show, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so Danny Trejo is the gunslinger. Yes, good one, Joe. Good call. Yep. You, you can get just about anybody else to play the other two roles as Trejo needs no supporting cast. Another. Hey, good there you go. Badass Maximus Trejo as the gunslinger. That would be my first choice. Thanks for another great podcast. Talk to you soon, Joe Iden. Yeah, very, very good call, Joe. I, uh, I, I'm not sure who would be. Uh, basically, any if you want to get a total dweeb to play the, um, the Richard Benjamin role, I, I would say uh, Jeff Daniels. I hate to say it. I know I picked but, on him the one time. But, but you know who they'd probably end up casting? Someone like Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I mean he's in freaking everything. I know, and I and I really, I've never met him, but I really hate seeing him in anything. Because the first thing I saw him in, believe it or not, was like in the first season of Alias, okay. and he played the guy that screwed it all up and got the whole plot line. She was like this secret agent. Not to, right, not, not to get right. too off the deep end here, but he she played the secret agent, and he was kind of like an independent reporter. And it was him nosing around that got her fiance killed and all this other stuff. And it's like I, that first impression has stayed with me. And I, I just, I don't want to say I hate him because it's too extreme, but I literally have never liked him in anything. And it's all because of, of Alias. So I, that's my, that's my little rant. Hey, no worries. Now that we, but uh, you, having said that, yeah, he probably would be good if, if I. I'm not saying now if he played a Josh Brolin role where he gets killed. Well, Josh Brolin is James Brolin's son, or whatever. You know what I was who did about. a who did a fantastic job in Men in Black Three. 
channeling uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, okay. And another movie that he was in that I uh, really, I really enjoyed, and I feel like I'm only one of three people on the planet that enjoyed it. Uh, Jonah Hex. Didn't see it. Well, I didn't see Alias, so we're even today. Okay, there you go. Okay, moving with, along. With all that being said, <laughs> what is our film for this time? Well, we like to challenge ourselves here at the drive-in. Yes, and if nothing of, else, we are very challenging. Yeah, we're very mentally challenged, and we always continue to strive for that, sort of. Yep. We shoot high, hoping to hit mediocrity. Shoot high, aim low. <laughs> Ooh, sounds like a yes song to me. Yes. Yeah, there you go. See, and you thought you slipped that one by me. I don't know. It's like, it's like playing ping pong with Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eye on the ball. Have a, have a staring match with Marty Feldman. Oh. <laughs> Anywho, could uh, be worse. But we try to every now and then. Lately, it seems like we've been getting uh, breaking out of the the whole uh, B movie uh, genre. Well, we've been kind of doing seventies cult for a while. Yeah, and realistically, this would be considered now. You know, it's funny now. This is considered an all time classic. But if you really look at the context it came out in, this was certainly a B movie back then. Mainly, mainly because the genre had really just started in the the previous couple years, uh, but we're going with uh, 1973 is classic Enter the Dragon, starring the Kato. L- starring the late lamented Bruce Lee, also known and, as as the father of Brandon Lee, yep, who also you, died. And do you know what his favorite drink was? <sighs> what? I couldn't stop it, folks. No, 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 no. He, he, he runs. He runs the show. I, I, I just, I serve it up to him. It was a train wreck. Okay. <laughs> also starring a a a, a, a B movie staple. A B movie staple. Been in more than I could even care to enumerate here. Uh, the amazing John Saxon. That's right. And John Saxon, for those of you that don't know, actually appeared on a failed Roddenberry pilot. Or two? I believe there was another one called Planet Earth. Didn't Never it, heard of that one. But Roddenberry I, 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 did like three. Did Earth 2, Gen- or Genesis 2, I want to say. And, um, God, it just flew out of my head. Planet, wait, Planet Earth, Genesis 2... And some other crap, but oh, okay. But John Saxon was in yeah. at least one of them. John Saxon is one of those character actors that you you can almost name nothing that he's actually been in. But if you look at you know go to IMDb, look at his his list of credits. He's he's had an amazing career, and they're they're always these these B movie made for TV movies. Um, like I said, he, he's got a hell of a dossier. Just he's never been a star. But at, it's my understanding the few times he does conventions, he's mobbed. Oh, people love him. Yeah. And he's another one of these guys that, from it's my understanding now, I've never been a, at a convention where he's been at. Right. But he's very accommodating. You know, he's very friendly with the fans. Well, basically, he's realistically, in, in the real world, he's a completely obscure actor. So he's, he's rightfully grateful for the, you know, the publicity and the fan base that, that, it's, again, it's my understanding that that does follow him and is pretty loyal to him. But uh, this is a nice little uh, 
example of, of what he does best. He's not the star of the show, but you'll you'll remember he him. Choose, he chooses some scenery. Oh, absolutely. Okay. With all of that being said, now that the preliminaries are over. The best place. Uh, let's you, try this again. The best place to start with these would be the, the plot. plot. Lee, a martial arts expert from Hong Kong, is hired by an Englishman named Braithwaite, or as Bruce Lee said, Mr. Braithwaite. Braithwaite. And, 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 and before we go any further, Bruce Lee is an amazing actor in this. I, you, anybody that says different got to answer to me. He is fantastic in this. Oh, I I would have to agree. Yeah, yeah. he's pretty damn good. Okay. Uh, who is Braithwaite is uh, connected with the government to collect evidence that will prove master criminal Han guilty of illegal drug trade and turning kidnapped women into prostitutes. Lee is to infiltrate Han's island fortress as a contestant in a great semi-annual martial arts tournament. He is aware... Mortal Kombat before. He is aware that O'Hara... Han's right-hand man had attacked his sister, Sulin. And though she had... Her last name wasn't Dion, was it? <laughs> but her heart will go on. And though she had put up a great fight against many of his men, she committed suicide when it was apparent he was going to rape her. For my money, that was actually one of the most brutal scenes in the movie when, when they showed that bit. But boy, she was a hell of a fighter, wasn't she? She didn't go down without a fight, man. She she slapped some of them goons around, man, let me tell you. Um, among the other men who come to Hans Island are Americans Roper and Williams, one wanted by the mob back home and the yeah. other by the police. Now, now Roper... Actually, Roper was just trying to get away from, from his wife. <laughs> but Helen... At least he didn't stare at the camera. Stanley. At least he didn't stare at the camera like Norman Phil. God, I hated that. Um, yeah, uh, Roper's basically uh, uh, a gambler, and he's got like a ton of gambling debt. So that's oh, one, yeah. that's one of the reasons he's going to this thing is to, tr- I guess, to try and win some prize money and <laughs> pay off his gambling debt. They never said anything about any prize money in this thing, though. Uh, not really, no. Um, now the other one is. Williams, played by Jim Kelly, who's... He's also kind of awesome in this. Yeah. Like a, he, well, uh, didn't he also play Black Belt Jones? I believe so. And there, there's a totally cool scene. Now, we're not going to encourage our, our listening audience to do this type of thing, but he, he has an, uh, an incidence of um, driving while black <laughs> that, that he gets stopped for. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be racist here. No, I, I, I have a number of black friends who have told well, me of this phenomenon. No, so. I, and that's pretty much what the whole thing is. They start... Yeah, they stop him for literally well, no... this is a 70s, so you gotta say they were hassling him. Yes, they were, they were, yeah, they were hassling him, harassing him. But uh, they, they, they drag him out of the car, and they're, you know, using a lot of boy and a lot of um, language we can't repeat here. But... Not only does he beat up the two cops, he drives away in their cruiser, which I'm just like, yeah, that works for me, man. <laughs> that really works for me. Um, okay, now, uh, Roper and Williams are ex-war buddies. They resume their friendship, and then Rose, Roper also becomes friends with Lee on the boat ride to the... It, 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 kind of. I mean, Lee kind of is... 
trying to keep his distance. Yeah. Although I do I do find it funny the scene where there there's one guy that big white guy that got the Australian guy. Is he Australian? I couldn't quite. Is place that the guy the they put in the boat? Yes. Okay. But he, he, they're they're on this boat, you know, slow boat to China, but actually to the, the you know the evil Hans island. Hans Island. Hans Island. It's like like the the Croft production that never was. <laughs> but um, you gotta you gotta love the fact that how stupid is this guy? Boat full of guys going to a martial arts arts tournament, and Bruce Lee's the one that he decides is the one he wants to pick on. <laughs> Well, like you're just too stupid to live. He, I mean, being set adrift in a boat, he got off light. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> now, after being greeted by the evil Han at a banquet, all the men are offered women for the night. While Roger is in bed with Tanya, who is... You mean Roper. Huh? Roper. Or... There was no Roger. Oh. Yeah, Nina Glasses. While Roper is in bed with Tanya... Han's hostess, and Williams enjoys the company of several women. I, I know, and I, that just cracked me up because you know that there were people in the audience in this movie back in 73 saying, Yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go with that. Now, uh, Lee talks to Mei Ling, his contact on the island, who is pretending to be one of Han's private female guards. She tells him that women keep disappearing and she doesn't have much time left. Lee sneaks through the palace and beats up several guards while trying unsuccessfully to find a way into Han's underground chamber. The next day, an, un- an angry Han orders the guards, who let the unknown prowler escape, to prove themselves worthy of his employ by fighting the muscular Bolo. Bolo. And you know, later in life, he actually took the name Bolo? Yeah, because the publicity from this film, they, mm-hmm. they really played it up. Uh, there's there's a ton of of I wouldn't call them cameos, but people that went on to greater things. Oh yeah. Um, in the opening sequence, which is amazing because I don't know if you realize it's like eight minutes in this movie before we even see the credits. Sounds about right. Yeah, about eight and a half minutes, and they have a whole beginning sequence where Bruce Lee is sparring with another guy at his dojo training camp or whatever. That's um later went on to become a successful martial artist in his own right, Sammy Hung. Sammo Hung. Or Sammo Hung, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. That's who that was. I uh, didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, I know Jackie Chan appears in this. Yes, we're, we're and, al- uh, almost at that part. Oh, go ahead. Um, Proceed. Bolo kills all of them. And really badly. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean shoddily, I mean... Ugh. Makes you cringe just watching it. Just the way he steps back into the one guy's windpipe. You know, it's I got, like oh. I have to. I have to say this. You know, the bad guys in this movie. You know, they're eventually going to get theirs, and you and you're when it finally happens, you're like, yes, thank you. But what? Okay, we're we're still on the plot. But just as an aside, I like the. I kind of like the fact that. Um, it, it, the villains, the villains are very black in terms of you know black and white morality, mm-hmm. but the good guys are all kind of in a gray area if you think about it. Lee's the only one that's actually there for a purpose, right? If you will, and I love, 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 love the fact that the the scene where Bruce Lee is finding out his, about his assignment, first thing out of his mouth is, "Why don't you take a gun and do it that way?" 
and they're like, yeah. no, no weapons, and, and he's just like, and you, and I had read that that was actually Bruce. Bruce Lee wanted a gun scene. He wanted to have because when oh he, really yeah when he was told that he, this was going to be kind of like a like a spy thing or you know that, told what the plot was he and and it, that he was ostensibly going to be working for the government. He first thing out of his mouth, he wanted a gun scene. So that that shot where he looks very visibly frustrated and disappointed, that's genuine. Oh, he, really? Yeah, he he wanted a scene like that, and the producers, directors, whatever, said no. You're you're here to do the fight scenes. So, which he choreographed all of them. Oh, absolutely. Mm. He even says so in the credits. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Lee next fights O'Hara. As part of the day's activities, remembering what O'Hara did to his sister, Lee beats him badly. And and it d- didn't even break a sweat. Yeah. Now, after he gets defeated by Lee, O'Hara resorts to fighting with broken bottles, which even Han said, no, that's not good. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. But Lee kills him by smashing O'Hara's neck with his feet. Which, that was the only part that was kind of weird for me is because Lee moves so fast and a lot mm-hmm. of the little, a lot of the little individual sparring things they did, I mean, you can use your, your freeze frame and all that. You cannot see the man move. Well, I mean, he literally just, and then whoever's on the ground, it, it well, happens so fast. Um, I actually watched a YouTube video where they broke down some of the oh, okay. scenes and it's amazing where you where it looks like he's only making one very quick movement. Yeah. No, he's got like two or three in there. But he's so fluid and so quick. Oh, exactly. It just and uh, that's the one part that's re- just it. I don't know how to describe it, but when he finally kills O'Hara, they 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 have to do most of his moves in slow motion just so you can see him because he moves mm-hmm. so fast. And when he comes down on O'Hara's neck, you don't actually see him coming down on it you they they do a kind of a tight shot of lee's face and the expression on his face just looks so it looks like he's passing a stone or something it's it you, you know what i'm talking about he's pinching a loaf exactly <laughs> and if you don't know what that is dear listeners think about it it's like why did i eat all that corn <laughs> anyway i'm glad that's not on the menu this evening yeah thank you in private, Han orders Williams to tell him who the Prowler was he saw the night before. When Williams refuses to talk, Han engages him in combat and kills him with an attached iron hand, which will become significant later. Han gives Roper a tour of his underground chamber, allowing him to see the drug manufacturing that is taking place, the prisoners he keeps for scientific testing, and the woman he is turning into prostitutes. Why the hell not? Yeah, come on. Yeah. We manufacture everything. Going going back to Bill Murray. Virgins on the left, non-virgins on the right. You guys line them up any way you like. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes back. It all comes back to Bill Murray. Yeah, that's why we had to to do a show. Uh, He tries to recruit Roper to work for him, but when Roper sees that Han has murdered Williams, he is taken aback and turns him down. Again, Lee tries to sneak into the dungeon, and this time he succeeds. With the evidence now to have Han arrested, he radios Barretawet to send reinforcements. But before he can get out of the dungeon, he is forced to fight with literally hundreds of, of Han's men. Now, I do like the fact that 
it's pretty as fast as all these moves are. It's pretty easy to tell. The, the good guys are the ones in the, the black robes. The, the white guys, the okay. minions are all in white. So, cause, you know, a lot of these things are moving so fast. There's several shots where you see kind of Han and Lee locking eyes and you're seeing all this stuff going on in the background. And that is literally, it's going on so fast. That's literally the only way you can tell, like, who's okay. winning, what's going on. So, um. Just continue. Okay. Um. I have a filter I can get rid of that. Okay. He defeats them all, but Han traps him between locked doors. Han orders Roper to fight Lee to the death. When Roper refuses, Han orders him to fight Bolo instead. Bolo. Bolo. Meanwhile, Mei Ling secretly frees all of Han's prisoners. They charge into the courtyard and do battle with all of Han's soldiers. So again, you have the, the black versus white kind of in reverse. While they win their fight, Roper kills Bolo in a brutal contest. Lee chases Han into a room full of mirrors in Han's private museum. Han puts on a metal hand which has knife blades instead of fingers. And if you don't think that's like the coolest damn thing ever... You're well, that's where you get... I mean, so many people have Bruce Lee posters. Yeah. Uh, after he slices Lee across his stomach, I mean, that is an iconic picture oh sure and of course after that happens i mean he's just so cool about it he just like takes it or rubs it rubs his finger across the blood touches it to his lips real quick and is just like Argh. it's like damn it good thing i took off my good good rope um he cuts lee badly several times but lee emerges victorious with han impaled on a spear um outside lee finds the rebellion is over many are dead including tanya uh, I was I was kind of surprised he didn't give more screen time to that because they, well I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, he gives a thumbs up sign to Roper who who reciprocates. Now too late to do any good. The Braithwaite's men arrived and cue the credits. Exactly ten minutes after the nick of time. Yeah, well considering how how late the uh, opening credits came in, maybe that's that was foreshadowing. Nah. Ah, um, you're giving it too much credit. What I found really fascinating about this movie is the fact that there were, there were several characters that we were kind of led to believe were going to be major characters, and they kind of, you know, get killed. And like Tanya? Well, Tanya, not only did she get killed, they didn't even show her. They just kind of showed her... Face down, I think. I don't. Did they actually show her getting it killed? Look, I think. Didn't it look like something had uh, fallen on her or something? I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm watching in the background. Of, they're kind of showing the, the the carnage, and they kind of show her face down. And, and I I went back like at least ten minutes, and I could not find the scene where she actually got killed. But there were again, you little this this whole fight thing had must have had five hundred guys in in. You know, good guys and bad guys together, all fighting. So the fact that I mean, it's, I wasn't surprised by it, but it was just like, boy, I, I thought you would have at least had Roper looking over her, like, you know, at least shaking his head. You know, well, making making a comment like, okay, well, she she knew who she was playing with, blah blah blah. And the fact that uh, Williams gets killed, it's I don't even think it's halfway through the picture. Uh, I think it's a little bit over halfway. A little bit over halfway, but again, you're expect he's one of the good guys. You're expecting him to kind of make it out at the end, 
and he gets killed and and just several instances like that where it's like boy this this film really played with my expectations of how it was going to go yeah and you know there were, were a few continuity errors throughout the thing uh, stupid stuff like what <laughs> roper socks Robers. At some point, he's wearing his crew socks with stripes across the top. Okay. When he's fighting, and like as they cut throughout the fight, suddenly they're normal socks. Oh. This was pointed out on a YouTube video. Oh, okay. I didn't, wasn't paying didn't notice that, that but I mean, all told, this is probably this is probably considered the finest of the kung fu movies, and kung fu movies back in the seventies. I mean, they were huge. They were huge, but they were a dime a dozen. This is one of the few films you could show to somebody that wasn't really a fan of the genre as, okay, this is a classic. This, I, I feel like this one kind of stands head and shoulders above the well, rest of them. It does. You know, I'm just thinking back to late 70s, early 80s. One of the stations around here had what they called Kung Fu Theater. Yeah, didn't they used to play uh, Nasty Boys by Janet Jackson? You know, I don't even know. Yeah. I just remember they'd show these these horribly dubbed kung fu movies, and I watched it every week. Well, and, you know, that brings up another point. Um, you know, I noticed it seemed like the, the dubbing was actually pretty good on this, and I found out why. The whole thing was filmed with no sound. That is correct. So they <coughs> they literally tracked the entire thing and dubbed it. In, in kind of in real time after the fact. So that's that's why it seems so much better as far as matching the, the lift movements up with the actors. There was one part in the whole movie that kind of had me shaking my head. When he's talk, when Bert, when Lee is talking to his master at the beginning, Yeah, that voice just somehow just didn't sink. It was a very deep voice. I mean, it could have been the guy's voice. I don't know. It just didn't seem right. Well, no, uh, they, they, if there was not him doing that voice, that was not him. Uh, if you're familiar with an actor by the name of Key Luke. Uh, Key Luke, I believe he played... Played the master... On Kung Fu. On Kung Fu. He did that, this master's voice. Oh, okay. All apologies to RCA. Um, but, yeah, they basically just had the guy mouthing the syllables okay. so it was but it was key luke doing that particular voice almost okay. everybody else did their own now on a really odd tangent note here this particular movie was parodied in basically one of those compilation movies that were so popular back in the 70s and 80s okay this one was called the kentucky fried movie oh god there was a there was a little segment in there called a fistful of yen. Yes, this movie was, or this. I remember that. You, I love the Kentucky Fried movie. That's a, that's an awesome. I, ha, movie. I haven't seen it in years. Catholic high school girls in trouble. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Um, Film at eleven. But uh, yeah, fistful of yen. It it parodies a lot of this movie. And it, it's yeah, pretty specifically, funny. this movie. Yeah. Not not boy. I. I had actually seen that before I'd seen Under the Dragon, so I I wasn't as into the source material, but now that I'm replaying the two in my head, so many things are just out I mean, out and out ripoffs. My favorite bit in that is where um uh, you, like when the island or the compound is invaded and you're hearing this uh, 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 
and turns out there's a guy standing on the corner with a megaphone going, ah, ah. <laughs> well, there was one other particular scene. It, the Han character right. had some very um, unusual attachments for his arm. God, now I'm gonna have to go dig that out because that's that I haven't seen this. Let's just say, um, ladies like them, and it tends to hum. Oh, harmonicas, kazoo's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, got anything else you care to add? We could. I mean, this is one of those movies that has been debated to. I mean, gone back and forth a lot, Um, and we could talk about it for a long time. Um, two other things I'll mention, more or less from the same part of the movie. Uh, as you said earlier, Jackie Chan, first first time in a movie ever for him. He basically... Got choked, didn't he? Well, if you're watching, it's it's the part where Lee is going through the, the, like, like the jail, and some guy tries to... Basically, it looks like he's trying to give him the Heimlich maneuver, and, okay. and he... Of course, Lee kills him and does the 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 windpipe crush out of camera frame, which is which almost a trademark move for him. But it's, his hair is so long and he looks so young. You unless it's pointed out to you, you will not recognize him as Jackie Chan. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I, I absolutely love is at one point somebody uh, he sees a snake. Out in this garden. Okay. And he basically knocks the snake out, puts it in his back. Oh, now, yeah. later on, he's going to break into the quote-unquote radio room, and he kind of feeds the the snake in through this kind of vent at the front of it. And, of course, the, the guys that are in the radio room, like, freak out, and they... Throw a chair through the window so they they can climb out. Which it has a door, guys. I, I, the door was at the opposite end of the booth. Well, I another example of Bruce Lee just being just such a fantastic actor. Watch his expression when when they're freaking out. He's basically just is it like the I'm bored and I'm chilling look? Yes, he he looks like he's lying in his barca lounger wa- watching the Knicks game. You know, like like. Okay, they'll be done in three, two, one. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> just, the the man just exudes cool, and I, like I said, I I, I love all. I actually preferred. No, I won't say that. But I liked his non-combat scenes as much as I did the combat scenes. You you can't keep your eyes off him when he's doing the combat scenes because he just makes it look so fluid, so quick, and just. Wow, but in the non-combat scenes, the actual drama scenes, he could have been, I think, a, a hot Hollywood actor for many years if he hadn't died so young. Yeah, I. He, the I man, mean, the man was good. Well, I mean, look at, I mean, Jackie Chan has done a couple movies where he's downplayed the whole uh, martial arts thing, which I really don't understand, considering Jackie Chan. I, I okay. I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to come across as a little bit, you know, at, at worst racist, at, at best short-sighted. But I literally do not understand how people who have bad accents that have been working with Americans or been in an Ameri- you know, an English-speaking situation for that many years, 
and yet you still they still can't understand you and you can't understand them. I've, I've heard recent interviews with Jackie Chan and he he has no concept of English basically, which I I don't quite get it. He doesn't need to. Yeah, all all he needs is uh, four words and God we trust. <laughs> okay. Well, with that being said, how do you want to rate this one? Um, I got to go with with Craptacular. This this is far and away, I think, one of the best movies we've ever done. I I actually saw that I had gotten this out of the library, watched it the day I got it. I watched it a second time. Now, longtime fans will know I'm I'm last minute Charlie on a lot of this. A lot of times I'm literally watching it the last five minutes of a movie as I'm walking out the door because of, you know, time commitments that I, I, I'm, I'm very poor at time management. I actually found the time to watch this thing twice and I was actually starting it a third time when I got caught up in something else. So I, I absolutely love this movie and, uh, something we had talked about off mic for a future date. We, we may do go back to, uh, the very small Bruce Lee Uber, uh, again. Well, <laughs> Game of Death is a, it's not a good movie, but it's a lot of fun and there's a lot to tear apart. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. All right. Okay. I got to go craptacular too. I mean, this is just, so watchable, so rewatchable. So now, once again, we're going to take a quick jump into Joe's corner. Uh, okay, and he writes, "What can a Godzilla fan say about this film?" He's talking about Final Wars. Okay, actually, a great many fans said a great many things about this film upon its 2004 release. Before I even saw the film, I was reading the online reviews, and I got to tell you, I was a bit let down and worried that direct that. The director, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, may have dropped the ball in this one. I mean, this was to be the last Godzilla film, according to Toho, for ten years. They had to get this right. Remember, I had not yet seen the film, just read the reviews. I remember thinking, based on the pics I had seen from the film, that this could be nothing but an all-out kaiju slugfest. All the monsters were here. Akira Takarada was here. Kenji Sahara, and wait for it, Kumi Mizuno were here. To top it all off, we had an American playing an almost lead in the film, UFC fighter Don Fry. Why was I reading negative reviews? Anyway, I finally did see the movie as I as I picked up a Japanese DVD with subtitles from Amazon. Gotta be honest, I cannot figure out the bad rep this film has. Or sometimes guess. I love Final Wars. It's all here. Actions, fights, decent story. Although simple and maybe even rehashed, maybe. This was the Godzilla send-off I had hoped it would be. All the monsters look great, and even if a lot of the fights are brief, you got to admit, this storyline moves. It's great to see kaiju we've not seen since the 60s and 70s. Monsters like Ibera, Hidera, Camaracas, King Caesar, and others. Godzilla looks great, and we see him do something we never had before. Run! That's right, the big G can sprint. I love the fight with King Caesar, possibly my favorite point in the film. This film is fun. Don Fry is Gordon, Captain of the Katango, pulls off an okay performance. Now how about the Katango? The opening scene with it fighting Manda was great. Love the look of the Katango. Wish I had a model kit of that ship. Plus we get a musical score in part by Keith Emerson and Sum 41. 
Toho seems to be really trying not only to remember the past, but making a film. I don't know, but also make an appealing film to their American fans. If I had any complaint, it would be the Power Ranger-like mutants. They get a little boring, as do the Matrix-like fights with the humans. But the fight chase scene on the motorcycles was a blast. Also love the uniforms of the officers of the Earth Defense Force. Like I said, storyline-wise, story is pretty simple. Compare this to the previous films, you see what I mean. Simple to the point and not too adult or serious, but I kind of think that's the point. This film is a callback, an homage, if you will, to all the Godzilla films we enjoy as kids. At least that's the way I feel about it. Heck, the plot line alone is basically a, a reworked version of Invasion of Astro Monsters, sort of. But as far as I'm concerned, that's okay. I really like this film, and I think Toho sent their biggest star out with a bang and a wink. Hell, my wife sat through this film with me when I first got it, and she even enjoyed it. That alone is a high mark. Praiseworthy endorsement. Gotta say, very impressive. Nice. Got a good woman there, Joe. Hang on to her. <laughs> Final Wars gets my highest recommendation of all the modern Godzilla films. Thanks for reviewing this film. You gave me a reason to watch it again. Joe Iden. Or Joe needs a theme song. Needs Iden. a theme song. Iden. Once again, thank you, Joe. Uh, we do appreciate all the all the feedback that we do get, and we appreciate all of you out there. It makes it worthwhile. It really does. And with all of that being said, what exactly is our film for next time? Well, uh, we're going to be jumping right back into uh, Kaiju Theater. Uh, we're going to be doing the 1994 classic, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. I hope you put up some air quotes for classic. <laughs> well, it's a classic. Okay. With that that, that being, kind of classic. With that being said, remember folks, secretlayerpodcast at gmail.com. And this is D-Dub. And Stratosphere. Saying go watch a B-movie. And why? Because these movies won't watch themselves. Bye, folks. Bye, kids. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Everybody was Kung Fu.